I want to thank the administration, Dean Western and some of the others for giving me this opportunity to come and, and to speak before you on convocation. Um, as they said, my name is uh, Pastor Mark Acevedo. I'm a third generation pastor. Uh, my my um, grandfather planted a church in New York City in 1930. Um, in 1930, I don't know many many of you probably don't know this, but there was a big migration of people from Latin American countries into New York City. And my grandfather seeing a need, uh, he was a street corner preacher. He used to preach on street corners with an American flag on one hand and my grandmother, my father and his two brothers on the other hand. And uh, at this time he was relegated to a ghetto called Spanish Harlem. I'm sure maybe you've heard of that. And the people would get so sick of him preaching that they would go up on the rooftops of the tenement buildings, urinate in the bucket, and then dump it over on him. And my grandfather was a very fastidious man, always wore a suit, uh, would wipe it all off, pick up his Bible, and continue to preach the gospel. Um, so the church he started was in 1930. Um, uh, for 88 years, it was pastored by either my, my grandfather or my father. And uh, until my father went home to heaven in uh, October 4th of 2018, the church still stands there. Now you would say, oh, that makes perfect sense. You know, you're, you're a PK. When I was young, there used to be a song by Dusty Stevens. The only man who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. And it was all about how preacher's kids weren't, you know, the model. And I wasn't the model. I tell everybody I was a saint on Sunday. I was a sinner Monday through Saturday. And I worked hard at sin. I enjoyed my sin. And consequently, I ran as far and as fast from the Lord as I possibly can. But I have a message for you today. You can only run so far before the Spirit of God will get you. And he will indeed confront you. So I'm very thankful for the Lord, for what the Lord did in my own life how the Lord brought me from a religious consciousness to a relationship with Jesus Christ, how I was changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. And so today I want to talk to you specifically about that, because I think we're facing a time and day where there's a terrible tragedy going on in the church. That is a tragedy of neglect, of neglect where people are satisfied to take the very elementary things of the gospel. And whether directly, overtly, or covertly, they say to themselves, I'm good, I'm saved. And so we wanna take a look at that. We wanna take a look, we're gonna be going into the scripture today in Hebrews chapter two. So if you have a Bible and you wanna turn there. But I just wanna point out to you uh, one example of neglect. On December 7th, 1941, that should be synonymous with everybody, is Pearl Harbor. Well, prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor, the military, even though there had been warnings that the Japanese were going to attack, okay, the military didn't heed the attack very well. And out on the coast of Oahu, there was a lieutenant who was the senior radar officer on duty. And 
right before the attack of Pearl Harbor, he saw a large group of planes heading for the Hawaiian mainland. And he looked at it, and he made a decision. And that decision was, this must be some B-17s on a training mission. And so he went up to his upper commander, and he said, oh, yeah, I think there's some B-17s going out there. Don't worry about it. And it was the first wave of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And you know the rest of the story. On December 7th, Japanese attacked the Pacific uh, Fleet in Pearl Harbor, resulted in the death of over 2,000 U.S. servicemen. Another example of neglect, if you go back a few years, was the Columbia Space Shuttle disaster. There, too, there was concerns about launching because in Florida there had been a few nights where there was freezing temperatures. Many of the engineers went to the flight directors and to the launch managers and said, we must postpone this launch. It's too cold. We usually don't have this kind of cold, but it's too cold. Their admonition was ignored. They decided to go ahead with the launch. And we know what happened. The entire crew was lost in a massive explosion, which was about 30 miles right from my house. Um, they were lost in a massive explosion. And it turned out that a $10 O-ring part was the root causal for that loss of life. See, there is a danger. There is a danger to neglect. Now, these are human things, but there is a danger for spiritual neglect. That's what I want to focus on with you today. Let me give you a little bit of background to the epistle of the Hebrews. Okay. The context here in the epistle of Hebrews is he's writing to three groups of people, three subsets within the church. The first group that he's writing to are those who we would consider to be born-again believers. They had come to Christ in repentance and faith. New birth had been brought forth in their life, and they were believers. So that's the first group that the author is writing to. But there's a second group. And the second group in Hebrews are those that are intellectually convinced about the gospel. They're intellectually convinced. They agree with the data points. The data points. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. None of them would say, no, I disagree with that. However, they had not come to genuine repentance and faith in Christ. They were not born again. Reminds me of the words of, of James the Apostle when he tells the church, you believe, you do well. Hey, the demons believe, and they tremble. And as a mentor of mine always said to me, Mark, do you know the difference between the church today and the demons? And I said, no. And he said, the demons believe and tremble. The church today no longer trembles. 
let me tell you something. If you are intellectually convinced about the message of the gospel, that is well. Jesus said, many on that day shall say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out devils in your name? Did I not do great works in your name? Did I not prophesy? Did I not preach in your name? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you doers of iniquity, you who practice lawlessness. Try never do you. If you take a look at the Greek construct, it could be implied that that word is, I never ever do you. It's an emphatic. It's not that you were mine and you fell away. It was that you were not mine. So when you come across the warning passages and the epistle of Hebrews, know that he's writing to a group of people who are intellectually convinced about the gospel but are not persuaded to the point of repentance and faith. And then there's a third group that he writes to. And the third group are those that absolutely do not believe. I don't accept that Jesus Christ is Messiah. I don't accept that he was the son of God. I don't accept that he died and rose from the dead. I have questions about this. I have questions about that. I have questions about the other. These are people who flat out reject the gospel. Do you know that all three subsets are in every church, every Christian university, every fellowship group, every parachurch movement that's out there? They are all there, which is why the writer of Hebrews writes to say, pay attention. There's a danger to neglect. If we go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the text begins with this admonition coming from the writer. He says, for this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, we always teach and we always preach that in interpretation of Scripture, context is king. Context is king. We don't open up the Bible, find a verse that we like, and then say, okay, that's what it means, and that's for me. We got to follow the context. You are law students. As law students, you are constantly chasing context. What's the context of the case that you're working with, right? You go to the beginning to find the middle and to find the end. Well, it's the same thing in Scripture, through the anointing and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writers of the scriptures build a case. So if we look here at verse 1, he says, for this reason, what reason? What's the reason? What is he referring to? Well, he's referring to, to everything that was said in Hebrews chapter 1 previously. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he said, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than angels as he has inherited a more excellent name 
what is for this reason, that Jesus Christ is indeed God, that Jesus Christ is indeed the Savior, that Jesus Christ is indeed greater and higher than angels, that this Christ is preeminent, that this Christ is eternal, that this Christ is co-equal with God. Amen. And so he calls them back to the reason. Listen, if this is true, he says, if he is better than angels, if he is whom God spoke through in these last days, then if that is true, then we must pay much closer attention. And that statement is true today. There is a, a, a travesty that's going on in the Christian community. And that travesty is building a God and building a Christ in our own image. Listen, many times people will say to me, my God would never do such a thing. And I look at them and I say, you're absolutely right. Your God would not. But you have a fundamental problem. Your God doesn't exist. You're going to answer to the living God. Amen. Your Apostle Paul says, it is appointed for all of us to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And consequently, because of that, the love of Christ compels us, it controls us, it drives us. And this is the same objective that the writer of Hebrews is having here. For this reason, he says, we must pay much closer attention to and here's the first point I want to point out. This is the danger of drifting away. He says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention, lest we drift away. The King James says, lest we slip away. But the, the root word of the Greek is a nautical term. And what that word actually means here is give it full attention, set a course. If you don't set a, cost, a, a, a course in a nautical direction, then you are subject to be taken by the tides wherever the tides may lead. You get the point here? Hey, if Christ is everything I said, and by the way, he is, the writer of Hebrews says, then it's critical that we pay attention. We set a course. Now, I look at you all today. You have set a course for your life. You have determined that you want to get a postgraduate education. You have determined that you want to become attorneys. You have sacrificed, all of you have sacrificed, I, I guarantee you, time and location and pleasure. You come home, you study, you read, you prepare for your next class, you prepare for your exams. All of you have done that. You probably have been doing this since high school. You weren't a degenerate in high school like I was. <laughs> but you know what it is you want to accomplish. And you have set your attention to go after that, which you're going to accomplish. Now, I have a question for you. What if you came here and said, ah, I'm not going to study. I'll just wing it. Every night you're going out, you're going to the movies, you're doing whatever, and you're not preparing and you're not doing. Let me ask you something. 
Would the goal of becoming an attorney be a realistic one? No, you're going to have a sit down with one of the deans and they're going to be going, yeah, this is not working out here, man. Maybe you should think of another career opportunity. We apply this in our professional lives. We apply this in our personal lives. The question we need to ask ourselves is, do we apply this in our spiritual lives? Or have we become so casual? Have we become so indifferent to the things of God that we go, I'm just going to wing it. I'm, I'm saved. I'm saved. I, I walked an aisle. I went forward. I accepted Jesus. I'm not going to make a big deal about this. I just food for thought. I had a lot of people who come up to me and tell me that they accepted Jesus. And many times I turn around and say, but has Jesus accepted you? Yeah. It's something to consider. There is a danger in drifting away. There is a danger from falling away from the essential, eternal things and giving ourselves to the temporal earthly things. And so the writer of Hebrews right here in verse one sets it out. Pay attention. Pay attention to that which you have heard, lest you drift away. In verse two, he said, for if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. Here in verse two, he makes this point. Hey, if under the law, if under the law, every single violation had a, a just response, this is the point that he's making. And I think as law students, you could appreciate this, right? You're studying the law. And you know that for every criminal violation, for every civil violation, society and individuals have recourse, right? You go speeding down the, the block and the speed is 35 miles an hour and you're doing 60 when the police officer pulls you over. There's really not much to say, is there? I violated the law. You go into a grocery store and you reach into your pocket and you don't have any money and you say, well, that doesn't matter. I'll just grab a bunch of these groceries, stuff them inside my coat, walk out and you get arrested for shoplifting. There is a response. It was that way in Israel as well. There was a response. There was a just recompense. The violations of the law caught up with them, and they had to give an account for them. And they could be anything from minor offenses to major offenses. The law covered everything, including capital punishment. And so the writer of Hebrews is making a point that builds to the next point, which is in verse 3. In verse 3, he says this, and this is really where I want to focus today. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape 
if we neglect so great a salvation. I want to focus on two words there, escape and neglect. And so you guys know that our, our system of laws structured in such a manner that there are penalties for violations of the law. Now, you know if you are convicted of a criminal offense and you go to be sentenced and you run away, you now have become a fugitive from justice. What is the, the motivation of the fugitive? Well, number one, he doesn't want to go to prison. So he flees and he seeks safety in fleeing. That is literally the definition of the word escape being used there. You're going to flee. You're going to, you're going to seek safety in fleeing. I think all of you know that we have an adversary, Satan, who has an army of people, demons, principalities, spiritual dark forces. And you know that they hate God. They are not indifferent to God. They hate God. They hate Christians. They hate the gospel message. So they set themselves up in an adversarial position. They are going to attack the proclamation of the word of God. They're going to attack the gospel. They're going to attack those who love the gospel. And, you know, we sometimes think that a demon is going to pop out from underneath a rock and go, ah. But that's not their strategy. They're going to cause the busyness of life. They're going to cause the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. And they are going to exacerbate that. Draw your attention to anything other than Christ. The gospel. And the church. We're seeing this today like no other time before in church history, where men and women's eyes are being turned to the, the luster of the world. We're seeing celebrity Christianity and celebrity churches and celebrity pastors and, and all these other different things that are drawing men's eyes away and women's eyes away. And for us as Christians, it's very easy to fall prey to such things. I like to call them shiny objects. Shiny objects, they get our attention, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, things that are eternal, things that matter, the study of the Word of God, the meditation of the Word of God, prayer, ministry of the gospel in your church or whatever, begin to fade away as more and more shiny objects fill our spiritual eyes. I mentioned earlier that there are many that are intellectually convinced of the merits of the gospel, 
but have never come to genuine faith and repentance in Christ. The temptation of the shiny objects draws them further and further away. They are on their drifting course. By the way, I failed to tell you that that word drift also refers to a boat that hasn't been moored to the dock. So you pull your boat up and the tide eventually is going to take that out. The minute you begin to drift, that is a sign that you are looking to escape the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 3, he, answered, he, he, he asked the question, how shall we escape? How shall we find safety in running away? The second word I want to bring to you, if we neglect so great a salvation. This word neglect is a very subtle but powerful word. This word neglect means to render no value, not to esteem. It, the perfect illustration is if we were walking down the hallway and there was a penny on the floor, I'm sure not 50 or 60 people are going to run on that pile and jump on that penny. Why? Because we don't render value to a penny. There's no value. So we're indifferent to it. We might say, oh, there goes a penny. Or kick it down the hallway. Whatever we do. But there is no value. Now listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What will be left for those who do not esteem nor render value or are indifferent to the things of God and are indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ? How will we escape the justice of God? How will we escape if Christ is of no value? To us. I shared with you at the very beginning, even though I am a third generation preacher, and by the way, I like to say I'm a gospel preacher. And people say, well, what's the difference between a preacher and the gospel preacher? I said, well, a gospel preacher always preaches the gospel in every message. Mm. Some preachers teach, I don't know, other stuff. But every time I preach, you'll hear the gospel in it. Because I believe, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't contain the power of God. The very proclamation of the gospel is the power of God Amen. unto salvation. And so consequently, I share it with you, even though I'm a third generation pastor, I grew up believing that I was saved believing that God was fine with me. He just knows I got a little bit of a problem. You know, I, I like doing things that I shouldn't be doing. 
I grew up in New York City. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Pretty drug-infested neighborhood where I grew up. All my friends were not believers. As a matter of fact, they didn't even know what believers were. You tell them you're, we were, you know, we went to a Baptist church. They said, oh, are you like a Jehovah Witness? It's like, what are you talking about? What are you, nuts? Everybody that I grew up didn't know the gospel. So when I was at a church, I acted like them. I spoke like them. I did everything they did. But I could stand in a room and say, look, this one's not saved. That one's not saved. They're going to hell. They're going to hell because they didn't accept Jesus. And my life, I carried into my adulthood, not esteeming Christ. He was of no value. He was like, oh, I'll go to church on Sunday. I go to church on Sunday, pat myself on the back. God's got to be real happy with me. Until the Lord decided to crush me. There's no other way I can say it. Until the Lord revealed my heart and showed me who I was in comparison to a holy God. And I did what every other person would do. I ran further and further away until such time that the Lord said enough and shattered me, shattered the myth of my autonomy, shattered the myth of my success, showed me every lust that I had in my heart every sin, every bit of immorality and impurity exposed the falseness of my religion and formalism till I got to the place that I cried out, God is their mercy for me. And it was there that I repented of my sins. It was there that I was born again. It was there that the sanct that the progressive sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit began to enter me and take me away from sin. Prior to that, I was intellectually convinced of the merits of God, but I was unregenerate. And when I read a verse like Hebrews 2, 3, I say, what would have happened to me had I perpetuated in my sin and I perpetuated in my self-absorption and I neglected, I was indifferent to Christ. I didn't care about Christ. What would have happened to me? And I'm going to tell you what would have happened to me. God would have judged me by my works. And I would be damned. That's plain and simple truth. Many times people out there say, well, you don't know my heart. God knows my heart. I say, you're darn tootin'. He does. <laughs> and you know what? And that should terrify you, not bring you comfort. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can know it? 
But then Jeremiah 17.10, not often quoted, right? says, for I, the Lord, know the heart, and I render to everyone according to their deeds. And this is the point of the writer of Hebrews. How shall we escape if we neglect? It's time for Christians, it's time for the church to turn away from an indifferent Christianity and turn to Christ Amen. and to repent from sin. Does that mean you can't go to law school? Does that mean you can't be an attorney? It's not what it means. It means that your life is invaded. Your life is absorbed. Your life is compelled. Your life is controlled with Christ himself. And when you wake up in the morning, it's Jesus Christ. And when you go to school, it's Jesus Christ. And when you sit down for lunch, it's Jesus Christ. And when you have dinner, it's Jesus Christ. And when you go to bed and pray, it's Jesus Christ. And if you don't wake up the next day, guess where you'll be with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. How shall we neglect? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So there is a tragedy. There is a tragedy of neglect. Much like Pearl Harbor, much like the Columbia Space Shuttle disaster, we saw the consequences of overt neglect. But my heart today is that there would not be anyone here who has put their faith and trust in their works, has put their faith and trust in their best effort, who has said, Lord, just give me a few years to finish law school, and then I promise you, Lord, I will turn my heart to you. I'll give you everything. I'll render everything to you. That is equal neglect, but that you would all come to the place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and say, Lord, you are my Lord. Lord, you paid for my salvation. Lord, you took upon your body the penalty for my sin, and I was given the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, Lord, I am not going to be indifferent. Therefore, Lord, I am not going to say I'm putting you on the shelf. Lord, I am yours. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says this, right? He says, for I have been crucified with Christ. And he makes an amazing statement. Therefore, it is no longer I who live. Just grasp that for a minute. There was a man that was well-educated, spoke multiple languages, reared and raised in the finest schools of the day. All of his accomplishments, he was a Pharisee, he was actually a member of the Sanhedrin, he was a man that was at the top of his game, and he tells the church at Galatia, I've been crucified with Christ. Have you been crucified with Christ? Can you say, it is no longer I who live? But Christ liveth in me, that the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Because he gave himself for me. That's the only measure of Christianity that we need in the church today. Men and women soul out for Christ. Amen. What could be more beautiful? You know, there's always jokes about lawyers, right? Always jokes that they're the pariahs of society. No offense. 
Well, what could be more glorious than a man or woman full of integrity, full of the Holy Spirit, convicted by what is right to be in the courtrooms of our nation, representing the afflicted, the ill, representing constitutional rights, whatever the course of discipline you're going to choose for yourself. Men and women of integrity. What could be more glorious that before you go to argue a case, you're on your knees before the Lord and say, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit so that righteousness prevails. Amen. Boil that down to the church. What could be more glorious than young men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are proclaiming the word of God with boldness, who are living out the gospel and say, I might be a lawyer by profession, but I am a child of God by new birth. Amen. Amen. I challenge you today with every ounce of energy and integrity I can muster. Live for Christ. Live for Christ. Don't, I beg you, don't drift away. Don't start neglecting. Listen, so great. That it costs the life. The Son of God, who, by the way, did so willingly, as the Apostle Paul says, for the joy that was set before him. Praise God. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. You know what that word despise means? He, he didn't render it of any worth at all. Hey, I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be cursed. I'm going to hang there naked. He didn't render it any worth at all. He despised it. Why? For the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? That he would raise a nation of kingdom of priests unto God. And if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you were part of that joy. Amen. So do something great. Honor Christ. Don't neglect so great a salvation. Will you pray with me? Father, as we come to you today, Lord God, we thank you. For there is salvation in no other, for there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit is the only one in this room that knows the hearts. And so, Father, will you go forward? Will you convict? Will you encourage? Will you edify? Will you heal hearts today, Lord? And Lord, if there be any here, Upon hearing the word of the gospel, like me, would realize maybe I'm not right with the Lord. That, Father, 
that they would bow in repentance and by faith receive the grace of Jesus Christ unto eternal life. For Father, your word tells us, know ye not that the kindness of the Lord leadeth a man unto repentance. So we ask you for this, Lord. Bring a bounty and a harvest for you, Lord. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.